Taylor Heineke remains the Falcons starter in week 10. What does this mean for their floor and ceiling as an offense? You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. And guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. Was going strong on Twitter at Falcfans, RIP. RIP to Arthur Smith's mustache. Um, but we appreciate each and every one of you guys that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen. All you have to do to become an everydayer of this podcast is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcast. So today we're going to be sort of talking a little bit about this. We're, we're not going to spend that much time talking about this Vikings game because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Vikings game tomorrow when we get to the all 22 review, but we'll, we'll talk about sort of the big picture stuff. And we'll, we'll start that conversation talking about, you know, the confirmation that Taylor Heineke would start this week uh, against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and Arthur Smith didn't want to sort of say that it was a permanent move or anything like that. He said, basically, Taylor will be the starter this week and we'll reassess uh, during and after the buy. So um, probably moving forward, Taylor Heineke will probably be the starter for the remainder of the season. But again, this is not going to be a conversation that immediately goes away. Now, I'll be curious when I go and watch the All-22 tomorrow um, and watch Heineke, you know, watching the game live on Sunday, you know, I was a little underwhelmed. With Heineke's performance, rewatching the broadcast copy uh, earlier today, it, it didn't really change my opinion of underwhelmness. Um, and we'll see if, you know, I, I feel better or, or worse about it after watching the film. But it's interesting because, you know, the last couple of days leading into this Vikings game, I heard a lot of folks talking about how Heineke had the potential to maybe raise the floor of this offense, that one of the things that he could be better at than Desmond Ritter was getting the ball out quicker. I didn't really agree with that assessment based off of what Heineke did against the Titans as well as overall body of work from what I've seen of him over the last couple of years in Washington. Um, and for me, when I think about whether or not Heineke is going to raise the floor of this offense, I kind of think he's going to lower the floor of this offense. And we have a relatively small sample size, um, you know, only six quarters of play from uh, Taylor Heineke, but I don't think he's really raising the floor in those six quarters, right? I think he's kind of lowering it. But I think the, th the thing that you will say about Taylor Heineke is I think he's potentially raising the ceiling of this offense. And then most of that is due to the explosiveness that we've seen over the last six quarters that we were not seeing consistently prior to that. And again, it's a small sample size, but through six quarters of play, Taylor Heineke, the Falcons have generated eight 20 plus yard plays to eight explosive plays, seven passes, one run. And if basically he can maintain that pace, which probably he won't, but if he does maintain that pace, basically on a per game, per quarter basis, whatever you want to say, he's this offense is 75% more explosive with Taylor Heineke at the helm 
through six quarters than it was over the previous 30 quarters that they were with Desmond Ritter at the helm. Um, and one of the things that you've heard me say on this podcast that like, I, I don't have agendas and I, I, I believe that, you know, I know some people don't agree with me. You know, my only agenda on this podcast is, is truth. But if there is an agenda that I do push consistently on this podcast, it is that explosiveness matters, right? That basically my philosophy boils down to explosiveness equals points because I've been collecting data about the Falcons ability to generate explosive plays since 2010. Um, you know, not necessarily league-wide, but at least in Atlanta. And basically the numbers bear out that, you know, on average, you're going to average about three more points per drive that includes a 20-plus yard play than a drive that does not have one. You're going to be three times as likely to reach the red zone on one of those explosive drives versus when you don't have one. And you're going to score at a rate three times higher on those explosive drives. Right. So that's where the explosiveness equals points sort of narrative comes from. And, you know, I think that raises the ceiling for your offense, obviously, because the goal offensively is to score as many points as you can. Um, And, you know, you're going to probably win more games if you score a lot of points, if you can be explosive um, than, you know, trying to win every game 17 to 14. Right. Now, one of the things when it comes to the floor conversation with Taylor Heineke is what's notable to me is on these explosive drives, the Falcons have not been reaching the red zone as consistently as they should, right? That we've had basically six drives where the Falcons had an opportunity, six explosive drives in these last six quarters with Heineke, where the Falcons have had an opportunity to reach the red zone. So we're we're excluding the drive where Jonu Smith on Sunday got the 60-yard touchdown. That drive also had a 20-yard play from Kadero Hodge earlier in that drive. Um, so excluding that, right? And again, it's a still a small sample size, but we're comparing these six drives versus the 25 drives that we saw from Desmond Ritter when the Falcons had opportunities to reach the red zone. And only about 33% of Heineke's drives of these explosive drives have reached the red zone when it was 60% for Desmond Ritter. Now, I think as that sample inclu- inclu- increases, right, that should equalize. Right? I don't think that number is going to stay that low. But the data that I have going back to 2010, basically on average, you know, whether it was Matt Ryan or Marcus Mariota or whatever, that number in terms of explosive drives reaching the red zone, about 60% of those, 57 to be exact, percent of those drives reach the red zone. So that number should normalize. But I think part of the reason why that number has been low, at least for these six quarters, is because of Heineke's inefficiencies as a passer. Going back to what I said earlier, where when people were saying like, oh, he'll, you know, essentially be more efficient then Ritter and raise the floor of this offense. I don't think that's true. And again, that to me has been expressed again in this limited sample that we've had of a game and a half of Taylor Heineke being a starter. And again, a lot of it is just due to Heineke's play style, right? He's, you know, his role model growing up was Brett Favre. And one of the things that he's talked about himself and that changed his career is he started to play more free, play more loose, trying to basically channel Brett Favre. Now he's very much a very, very poor man's Brett Favre. Right. So I don't think we should be surprised that that this is kind of it's kind of a roller coaster. Right. But, you know, there's a couple of examples I've seen on film last week and and we'll we'll see what the film says this week. But watching the game live um, where after the Falcons were able to generate explosive plays, you didn't see this offense be able to sustain last week against Tennessee. You saw that 21 yard play to Drake London 
where he hit London. London wound up getting hurt on that play and actually didn't game. But then you look at uh, Heineke's next two passes on that drive, on that same drive. He was kind of big play hunting, right? He, he to me, he came out of the huddle on his next pass, taking a deep shot to Mac Hollins, even though he had a wide open John o. Smith underneath on that play. Then the next pass on the third down, there was a design swing pass to Bijan. Um, but at the beginning of that play, he kind of peaked to the backside where he had Kadero Hodge one-on-one, hoping that Kadero Hodge could potentially win his one-on-one matchup, even though the design of the play was to go in another direction. And, and this week against Minnesota, you know, you had that 31-yard play to Kadero Hodge to start the second series uh, this past Sunday. And then his next pass came on the third, the subsequent third and seven, and he missed an open in Kyle Pitts and nearly was picked on that play. And so we'll, we'll see, you know, if this is backed up when I watch the film, but you know, one of the things that I talked to to the Locked On Falcons insiders when I did the all extended all twenty two review last week was those two passes in particular in that Titans game, the Hollands, uh, in that miss swing pass to Bijan, where Heineke was kind of big play hunting. And those are the types of insights that you guys can get. You know, becoming a Locked On Falcons insider, right? Um, you'll also get my insights, my thoughts. You know, first and foremost on any sort of breaking news. You get that one-on-one communication. And of course you get access to the extended all 22 reviews. If you want to become a locked on Falcons insider, just hit the link in the description below. But, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, this sort of roller coaster, we could say with Taylor Heineke is kind of reminiscent to me of the Mariota coaster, right? And part of the reason why, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to take credit, but I know the reason why I started using the term Mariota coaster, you know, I don't want to say I was the first person on the planet to, to, to coin that phrase, but the part of the reason why I thought Mariota would be this roller coaster is because you would get similar highs and lows. You would get these big plays and you would get these lows because of the inefficiency. And with Mariota, those big plays I thought were going to be related to his legs, right? His ability to create off structure and just so, sort of heave up bombs down the field, which is something that he did at a semi-regular basis in Tennessee, right? And the hope was that the highs would outweigh the lows with Mariota. And we didn't really get that, right? Because we didn't get that many we've got we got a sprinkling of those off structure plays but we didn't get too many of that right and you know we'll see what happens with heineke but you know the hope is that those highs will will get that sort of balance that we were looking for last year with mariota where we get those highs those explosive pass plays down the field he'll take his shots he's you know again he, he thinks he's brett Favre, right you know no one else does but he thinks he is and as long as he thinks it it's fine Right. So hopefully we'll get those highs outweighing the lows, but there's still going to be lows. And the way that the Falcons can mitigate some of those lows is by, you know, if, if the floor based purely off of Taylor Heineke's passing is going to be low because of those inefficiencies, the way that the Falcons can raise that floor with their offense is through the run game. Right. And that was something that the Falcons were able to do effectively running the football, that is, with Mariota last year. And that's part of the reason why, despite not getting as many highs, you know, the Falcons were able to, to have some success with Mariota at the beginning of last year. And, and we know that the Falcons are not running the ball effectively this year. And we'll, we'll talk more about how this plays into, you know, what this offense can be under Taylor Heineke moving forward and why this offense, you know, this run game is so critical. And later we'll talk about why this is, you know, part of the conversation that involves, you know, Arthur Smith and potentially his job security. So we'll get into all of that, guys, as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. 
But first, guys, I want to tell you about Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And now that basketball season is here, they've got a new feature where you can combine projections across multiple sports in their specials league, especially football and basketball. You know, it's a league created to create combo projections for two or more players from different sports. So, for example, you can combine LeBron James and Travis Kelsey on three points made in receptions. And if you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250. Uh, that's just one of many ways you can do so. That's the great thing about price picks. It's simple. All you got to do is pick two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats. The more entries you make, the more money you can make up to 25 times your money. You got quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, an enormous selection of players and stat types that are going to make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Use code locked on NFL in lowercase for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Use promo code locked on NFL. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. So as we continue today's Locked on Falcons, I do also want to plug the Locked on NFL kickoff live each and every Friday across the entire Locked on NFL YouTube network. You can get that preview with my good Friday, good buddy Jarvis Davis, as well as so many folks from across the entire Locked On NFL network that are going to preview each weekend's slate of games. Of course, that's free and available Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. If you're already subscribed to Locked On Falcons, you will get that here on Locked On Falcons. Or, you know, if you're on Locked On Cowboys or Locked On Packers, you'll get it there as well. But, you know, if you haven't subscribed to Locked On Falcons, please do so that you can check out Locked On NFL Kickoff Live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Locked On NFL YouTube channel. So, we're talking about the Falcons getting big plays at a higher rate under Taylor Heineke, but they aren't finishing those drives in the red zone, you know, basically giving themselves scoring opportunities uh, to the degree that they have before. And by the way, if you're curious how Ritter, Heineke, and Mariota compare, again, Falcons were getting to the red zone about 61% of the time on, on Mariota's big play drives last year. So again, as I said, I expect that number, that 33% number with Heineke currently through six quarters, that number should go up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I think part of the reason why this offense isn't being able to sustain on the, after they get a big play, you know, for example, let's say they get a 30 yard play, you know, and then you look at Heineke's passing after that, he's, he's been struggling in that regard. Right. And, you know, he's only completing about 33% of his passes on these drives after the Falcons get a big play. And you compare that to Desmond Ritter, who was completing about 60% of his passes, right? And this is contributing why Taylor Heineke overall is only completing less than 60% of his passes. So he's not necessarily an efficient passer at this point in time, right? But, you know, if you go beyond passer rating or completion percentage and you look at other sort of efficiency metrics like success rate, passer rating, adjusted net yards per attempt or Anya, you know, Ritter is still better than Heineke in those numbers, especially on these big play drives after generating a big play in hoping to sustain offense, but his efficiency numbers aren't great, right? You know, but he's still better than Heineke, right? You know, it's like a 79 pa passer rating for Heineke versus an 89 for Desmond Ritter, or maybe it's a 70 versus an 80, but something like that. Again, it's not a great passer rating for Ritter, but he's, he's still better. So it wasn't as if the Falcons were particularly efficient under Ritter either in these situations passing the football. But the Falcons were still finding ways to get to the red zone. And again, I think some of that is owed to their ability to run the football. That because you're not getting high-level quarterback play, throwing the ball, especially on these drives where you're flipping field position and you want to sustain that to get into the red zone, 
and score points, touchdowns, hopefully, right? But part of the success for the Falcons is being able to run the ball, right? And I can use an example. You go back to that Tampa Bay game, right? And in the fourth quarter of that game, we saw Desmond Ritter break outside the pocket, lob up a throw to Taylor uh, to Tyler Algier, and he he rumbled down the field for a 46-yard gain, right? Now, that happened to be the drive where Desmond Ritter fumbled at the end. But what was notable about that game, that drive up until that point was right after that big play, the Falcons handed the ball off six consecutive plays. They gained 37 yards. So they were able to sustain their offense by running the football after generating an explosive play. That's kind of what the Falcons' bread and butter is, right? And that Tampa Bay game was one of the few instances this season where we've seen this Falcons' running game be effective and efficient, right? And you go back to the final drive, and I talked about this on yesterday's uh, rapid reaction, but you go back to the final scoring drive, I should say, not the final drive, penultimate drive, but second to last drive. Uh, for those of you that, you know, don't know what penultimate means. Uh, but, you know, you saw the Falcons, you know, run the ball 11 out of the 13 plays in that drive, not counting uh, Taylor Heineke scramble, right? And their success rate on those 11 plays was 55%. That was a really efficient number, very good number for the Falcons. But prior to that drive, if you take that drive out of the equation and you look at the Falcons run efficiency in that Vikings game, it was 23%, which is terrible, terrible, Right. But that last drive, that penultimate drive, looked a lot like the Falcons' offense from yesterday, last year. That that team that was like, we're going to pound the ball down your throat and you can't stop us. And that's what they look like. And we need to see more of that this season, especially if this offense is going to sustain itself. Because again, you know, we're talking about in the context of explosive plays, but like, again, Taylor Heineke's not an efficient passer. He's never been an efficient passer. That's not, you know, you go back to Washington's success. When I remember watching Washington beat Philadelphia last year, you know how they beat them? Brian Robinson, not Taylor Heineke. Right? Brian Robinson basically put the team on his back and, and, and carried Washington to victory against the Eagles last year. Right? And so, like, that to me is really what this offense is built to be. Now, their run game isn't terrible, but it just simply hasn't been reliable. And for three and a half quarters on Sunday against the Vikings, it was unreliable, right? And that has been a through line throughout the season. So I could throw more numbers at you to basically illustrate the point that how big a drop-off this running game has been. Basically, the numbers, you know, you just look at last year's first nine games and this year's first nine games, right? You you don't see the dominance that you saw, right? You saw dominant performances from this Falcons run game, but you also saw like their floor as a running game was still a very efficient offense, right? For example, you look at the success rate. I'll, I'll throw a couple of numbers at you, right? Success rate of 45% is a healthy rushing game. And for those of you that don't know about success rate, success rate basically measures uh, rushing efficiency or really offensive efficiency, but in this context, rushing efficiency based off of down and distance, right? It doesn't treat like yards per carry does, which is the, the normal efficiency metric that a lot of people use yards per carry. The, the flaw in yards per carry is it treats every yard the same, right? It says all yards are equal, right? So for example, yards per carry will tell you an 11 yard gain on a third and 17 is better than a two yard gain on a third and one success rate. Wouldn't tell you that success rate will tell you that two yard gain is, is good, right? So based off of that, a 45% success rate is a good number. That is a healthy, very good running game. You know, you, ideally you can get that number to 50% or higher, but last year in the first nine games, every game, the Falcons, and we're only, we're not counting quarterback runs or scrambles or anything, just handoffs to the running back. 
The Falcons, when they handed the ball off to a running back in the first nine games last year, they were they had a success rate for a 45% or higher in every game last year. This year, they've only had a 45% success rate or higher in three games this year. Now, granted, in week one against Carolina, they had a 44% success rate. So, But what was notable about last year's offense is you had four games last year where you had a success rate over 50%, which is a very good number for a success rate. This year, you have three games. But those four games last year where you had a success rate over 40, over 50%, they were actually over 67%. And 67% success rate is dominance, right? You know, the trick with success rate, one trick that you can use when I throw these numbers, because when I say 42 versus 44 versus 48 versus 52, those don't seem drastically different. But one trick that you can use with success rate, especially when it comes to the run game, is double the number and think of it like a quarterback rate. So a 42% success rate would be like an 84 passer rating, which would be roughly league average. Meh, you know, a 35% success rate, if you doubled it, would be a 70 passer rating. And that would make you a bad quarterback, right? Someone would be like, bench that guy. 50% would be a hundred passer rating, which would mean you're one of the better quarterbacks in the league. If you get above 55%, you know, Aaron Rodgers had an MVP season a couple of years ago where his passer rating was 120, which, you know, the equivalent in success rate, if you have that is 60%. So that's what we're talking about. 67%, four games of 67% is like MVP level running game. That's kind of how you think about it. We're not getting anywhere close. The the highest success rate the Falcons have had this year was that Packer game where they had a 57% success rate. So by the way, you know, as I said, final drive, they had a, uh, their penultimate drive, their success rate was 55%. So very good on that drive, but 23%. So again, you're talking about a 46 quarterback passer versus 110, right? We're talking about, you know, peak Tom Brady, peak Aaron Rodgers, peak Matt Ryan versus, I don't even know, Zach Wilson. Deshaun Kaiser. I don't know. Think of a historically bad that that's, that's kind of the difference in terms of the Falcons rushing success. So um, that conversation about the Falcons inability to running ball, I think directly informs the conversation that we're beginning to have about is Arthur Smith on the hot seat. And to me, you know, everybody makes it about the quarterback and his decision to pick Desmond Ritter or his inability to develop a quarterback as a reason why people are now discussing is Arthur Smith on the hot seat, but it's really to me about the run game and, and other issues with the team. And we'll, we'll talk about that to wrap up today's locked on Falcons guys, make sure you score early this season with FanDuel America's number one sports book. Cause right now new customers get a $150, uh, get $150 in bonus bets with a winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. If your team wins and, you know, that doesn't mean you got to bet on the Falcons, guys. You know, your team could be the Chiefs when it comes to FanDuel, right? And so this is a great opportunity. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in the action. And it's not just money line, which is straight up bets for those of you that don't know, but you can also bet spreads, player props, over unders, so much more. All you got to do to play is visit fanduel.com slash locked on, and you can kick off this NFL season by putting that extra $150 in your pocket. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. So let's wrap up talking a little bit about Arthur Smith being on the hot seat. And the fact that we're having this conversation at this point in the season is a conversation I didn't think we were going to have this year. Right. And this, you know, we're, we're asking questions. Is Arthur Smith on the hot seat? Should Arthur Smith be in the hot seat? Now I'll say this. And again, this opinion may change in, in a couple of weeks, a couple of months. 
I don't expect Arthur Smith to get fired at this point. I, I'm a fool. Okay. I still think this team is going to find a way, or I hope this team is going to find a way to w- finish this season with a winning record. And, you know, you don't typically fire coaches that have a winning record, especially given where this team is in their rebuild. Um, but right now, they're four and five. My expectation is that, you know, they'll find a way to win against Arizona, even though it's not going to be pretty because it never is. And then they'll come out of the bye, they'll fix what they got to fix, and they'll find a way to win at least four out of the last seven. Right. And if you go back to my preseason prediction, at this point, or going into their bye, I had predicted them to be six and four. So if they can get to five and five, they're not, again, they're not, season's not over. You know, they're not too far behind the eight ball. And then I thought they would win four out of the last seven. Now, given how they've played the last couple of weeks, especially, this is not a team that looks like, right, the last in recency bias, if you want to call it that, does not look like a team that's poised to do that. So again, this is why I say I'm a fool, because I'm foolishly thinking that they're going to figure it out that this team is capable. And a big part of that is my belief that Arthur Smith is a better coach than what this team has shown in recent weeks. But if they don't figure it out, the conversation about Arthur Smith and his job security is only going to get louder. And I know to some people, this is going to sound like I'm just passing the buck because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and blame Desmond Ritter as so many people have, as I've said many times on this podcast in recent days and weeks, I think the conversation has been about the quarterback because it's the nature of the position, but I don't think this season's really boiled down to the quarterback. Yes. Desmond Ritter has been a disappointment, but I think there's been people pushing this narrative that he's been this disaster and he's the cause of the downfall of the season. And, you know, it goes back to a conversation we had a couple of months ago about expectations that if you had asked me two, three months ago, what would, you know, on a 10 point scale, where would I expect Desmond Ritter to be at this point in the season? I'd probably think he'd be like a five out of 10, roughly average starting quarterback with the idea that in the back half of the season, he could improve to a six or higher. And that would be the thing that would click for the Falcons and get them, you know, into the postseason. And I would say through eight games that we saw of Desmond or seven and a half games that we saw of Desmond Ritter, I'd say he's probably, he was probably a four out of 10. Now it wasn't a smooth four, right? Some weeks it looked like a two, some weeks it looked like a six, but overall it was probably a four out of 10. So to me, my expectations of him being a five and him actually being a four to me, isn't crazy. Now, no doubt Desmond Ritter was a disappointment because of that. But, you know, there's going to be this narrative among some folks that like Arthur Smith deserves to be fired because he made a terrible bet on Desmond Ritter. And I don't agree with that, right? Five turning into a four is not a betting on a five, betting on a five that actually turns out to be a four is not a terrible bet. That's not why we're having this conversation about Arthur Smith's job security. We're having this conversation about Arthur Smith's job security because the Falcons don't look like a well-coached football team. And they haven't especially look unlike a well-coached football team these past two games against Tennessee and Minnesota. And, you know, the whole selling point of the season was, you know, not, hey, Desmond Ritter's going to be a star, guys. It was like, we got to find out about Desmond Ritter. The selling point of the season was all the stuff around Desmond Ritter was going to set him up for success because we thought this team was going to be a well-coached football team that has a question mark at the quarterback position. And, you know, I'll reiterate what I kind of said on yesterday's episode, which is the bet was that everything around the quarterback was going to be good, but you haven't that those have been the things that have been much bigger disappointments of the quarterback itself, right? The run game, the offensive line, the skill position players, the defense, right? The defense is the only thing that's come close to living up to the expectations and exceeding those expectations through the first part of the season. But the last two games, you know, it feels like the defense is coming back down to earth. And so I can imagine a scenario in a couple of years where someone's going to, you know, be tweeting 
or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I just got pissed off all over again because Arthur Smith made this terrible bet on Desmond Ritter instead of Lamar Jackson or insert whoever. And again, I'm going to be the person if I'm back on Twitter, who knows, right? I'm going to be a person like that wasn't the bad bet, guys. Rolling with Ritter into the season was not this terrible plane that some people will lead you to believe it is, right? What has been the bigger disappointment is we figured, you know, it wasn't a terrible plan because we figured, okay, we don't know what Ritter is, but we feel good about this supporting cast, right? And the rest of the roster is going to be solid. And we think Arthur Smith's a good coach, and this is going to be a well-coached football team. We're going to be competitive every week, and they have been competitive every week. But this last month especially, this team consistently has found ways, despite being competitive, that when they get opportunities to shoot themselves in the foot. And that's why they're not a well-coached football team. The penalties, the negative plays, the turnovers, the big plays that they're giving up. You know, having Josh Dobbs dead to rights multiple times and then he breaks, you know, three tackles, scores a touchdown, does, you know, backflips, all this stuff that he seemed like he was doing on Sunday against this defense. Right. And those are going to be the things that Arthur Smith and company are going to have to clean up if they're going to salvage this thing and in this conversation about his job security. So quarterback still going to remain a question mark. Hopefully we'll feel better about that two months from now than we do today, but we'll see. But it's really about the other 10 guys on offense and, and the 11 guys on defense that to me are going to really determine, you know, if Arthur, if this conversation about Arthur Smith and, and him being on the hot seat main, beca- maintains a conversation or it goes away. So we'll be talking tomorrow about, you know, the all 22 and I'll be giving my thoughts on, on that. You guys can just submit your questions. Please become a locked on Falcons insider. Um, continue to, to check out, this show as your first listen. Check out Locked On NFL as your second listen. It's all part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.